like a box of chocolates, like Forrest Gump's mama said. You just never know what's going to happen. Any day when you get up, things could be just like normal. They can be different. So today, it's definitely different. We've got a small crowd. I don't know if we're live streaming or not, but uh, we're working on it. But God's still on the throne. Amen. So those of us that are here are going to worship. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. I want to read a passage. Uh, actually, it's a group of scriptures about Thanksgiving. We've had Thanksgiving this week. I hope you were thankful. I hope you had a great time. Psalms 26, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Psalms 50, offer to God thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Psalms 95, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Psalms 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. 
Psalms 116, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalms 147, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God. Revelation 7, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom. Thanksgiving, honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This morning, Lord, we choose to offer thanks to you. We choose to offer thanks to you, Lord, because you are worthy of glory and honor and praise. And our circumstances in this life have no bearing whatsoever on your worthiness. So we choose to worship you. We choose to lift and exalt you. And we choose to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We will lift up and exalt your name. And you said, Lord, when we lift you up, you will draw all men unto you. So, Lord, this morning, as we worship you, come in all of your fullness. Visit us with your spirit. Pour your spirit out on us and touch us and refresh us. Change us this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
fall apart You're the one that guides my you this morning and all that's going on in our nation and our lives the chaos and the confusion and the changes all the upheaval Lord we need you more than ever we need to have our eyes on you and our hearts tuned in to your heart and our will needs to be resolved we need to set our face like a flint Lord that we would follow you, we would hear you, and we would celebrate you and all of your goodness to us, Lord. I thank you that you abound in goodness. Your goodness is beyond our comprehension, Lord. Your love is, is so deep and wide and long and high, we can't ever comprehend it. And yet, Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst to want to know you, to come to the place that we know your love more and more, to comprehend with all the saints what is 
the length and breadth and depth and height of your love, Lord, so that we would be changed. In your presence, Lord, we'd be transformed and changed to be like you. Lord, I thank you that today, today is a day that you have come to be here with your people. As we worship you and as we lift up your name, you have chosen, Lord, to come and to speak to us. You've chosen to come refresh us, to come and be here in our presence so that that we can know you and experience you like never before. I thank you, Lord, that you don't withhold your presence from us. You don't punish us when we fail. You don't uh, push us away when we don't do everything just like we think we ought to, but you always receive us. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you're always calling us to come. So we choose to come this morning, Lord. We come into your presence. We want to experience you. Show us, Lord. Show us your heart so that we could know your love. We want to see you as you are. Know you. Not just in ways that we've thought of in the past, but Lord, help us to know you as you truly are. We want to see you as you are so that we'd be changed and made like you so that we could hear people and see people the way that you do, that we would touch people the way that you do, that we'd love and be humble and, and serve as you served when you walked among us, Lord. Thank you for your example. Lord, I thank you that you are speaking to each one of us. As we are in your presence now, Lord, we're going to just take a moment to let you speak to each one of us, that we'd hear your voice clearly. And our our brokenness and our frustrations and our pain and our sickness, all the things that we experience in this life, Lord, you can speak to those right now. Speak a word of life. Speak a word of hope, a word of peace, a word of calm, a word of healing over us that, that we would be comforted by your word because your word is alive and powerful, Lord. So speak to us now as we pause and just give you a chance to speak, Lord God. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are things right now in, in our body that are things that we never thought would happen. We've got some folks that are sick with COVID. Uh, we've got other folks that are, that are uh, recovering. I just want to encourage you that Lord says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts and my ways are not like your ways. They're much, much higher. And he knows the plans that he has for us, plans for a, a hope and a future and expected end. He, he wants to do good in our lives. And all the things that we see now that make us question, that make us maybe a little concerned or anxious, the Lord is saying, I am still God, and I'm still on the throne. My plans and purposes will be fulfilled in you in this time, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that you, that you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of peace, and that you have made a new and living way for us to enter into your presence and experience all of your goodness all of your provision and care. And I thank you, Lord, that for our failures, you bring success. 
through what you accomplished on the cross. Through our sin, you bring forgiveness through what you accomplished on the cross. Lord, for our brokenness, you bring healing for what you accomplished on the cross. Lord, I thank you that you have caused us to walk in triumph and to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. And Lord, thank you that you have done all things well on behalf of your people. Lord, we are your people and you are our God and we rejoice in that. Nothing this world can offer, nothing this world can throw at us, nothing in the way of sickness or discouragement can change the fact that you are God, you are our God, and we are your people. We rejoice in that, Lord, and your grace truly is sufficient, and we will walk in your grace and in the victory that you have won for us at the cross. So I proclaim that over this body, health and healing to all who are sick. Raise them up, Lord. Heal them in Jesus' name. They would be completely restored. Protect those in the households where there is sickness, Lord, so that it doesn't spread. Heal and deliver us. and Give us protection and blessing and favor in all that we do, Lord. And lead us and guide us. Give us wisdom to know the things that we ought to do, the things that we ought not to do, because we want to be responsible. We don't want to be fearful, and yet we want to be responsible and respectful. So, Lord, give us wisdom to know how to respond to this current environment. And, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in this nation. You're going to cause a spirit of repentance to fall on us. Turn our hearts, Lord, that, that we would turn to you, return to our roots that were founded in you and the principles of your kingdom, Lord. Reveal the truth and cause all lies and deception and unrighteousness and lawlessness to be exposed. Lord, let the, let the media begin to report truth like never before. Let them begin to report truth. Let our politicians seek after truth and righteousness. Let our leaders be led by you, Lord. Even those that don't know you, you can still lead them, and I pray that you do that, Lord. Guide this nation. Restore us. Heal us and forgive us, Lord, for our sin. We humble ourselves before you. Heal us and raise us up so that we would be the people in the nation that you've called us to be. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we're going to do um, something a little different for me. I've done this uh, in teaching a little bit, but I've never actually uh, preached this way. We're going to go through the book of Colossians. And I don't know, I don't know how far we're going to get each week. We'll just see. Uh, but today is kind of an introduction. And we're in Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. And it's going to be, uh, like I said, it's going to be an introduction. It won't be, uh, it won't be maybe quite as, uh, as deep and good as it is some weeks because Colossians has a lot of wonderful uh, truth in it. So let's read these verses and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about uh, a few key points. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, kind of background information uh, for the most part this morning, but Paul identifies himself as Paul, and if you read in Acts, you know, he was Saul originally, 
And I'm sure if you've read his name changing to Paul, you've wondered why that happened. And I just assumed all my life it's because he became a Christian and he didn't really want to be associated with the, with the past. But, but actually, there's something else there, too. Uh, he had a Jewish name and a Gentile name or a Roman name, a Greek name. And that was not uncommon because he was a, a Hebrew that lived in a Greek area. And so Saul was his Hebrew name, but Paul was his Greek name. So it was customary for Hellenistic Jews to have two names, a Hebrew and a Greek or a Latin name. So John was called uh, Marcus also, and a fellow named Simeon was named Niger also, and Barsabbas was also named Justice. And those are examples in the Bible of other people who had a Hebrew name and a Greek name or a Latin name. But it makes sense also that since Paul was the apostle one of the Gentiles, that he would use a Gentile name to relate to him because uh, he was not relating to Hebrews, he was relating to Gentiles. And I also believe that kind of served as an opportunity for him to distance himself from the past a little bit because when he was a Hebrew, not only was he keeping the law, but he was also a persecutor of the church. And I'm sure that he felt some pretty serious remorse over that because he actually killed Christians and was responsible for many of them being put into prison and punished. So I'm sure he liked the idea of being associated with a new name. Isn't it good to know that when we become believers that we have a new name? It's a name that's written in the book of life. It's not the same old, the same old you, but you are a new creation. You may not change your name in this life, but there is a new you. And the Lord looks at us, and we are all new creations, and we have a name that represents a new creation. Now, it's not the same old you. You may, you may know all the same people, and you may live in the same circumstances in life, but you are a new creation and you have been changed. Paul, he says, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent, specifically sent with a message or sent with a, a purpose. And so there were 12 original apostles. We refer to them as the 12. Jesus referred to them as the 12. The word of God refers to them as the 12. And those original apostles held an office of apostle that was uh, is really different than anything that we are familiar with today. Matter of fact, you know, when they get to heaven, there's going to be 12 thrones and 12 crowns and, you know, one's for the tribes and one's for the apostles. And so there are apostles today, but they're not on the same level as the, as the 12 because those 12 were selected by Jesus Whereas, uh, you know, the ones today, they have the gift of apostle. That, that's different. That's not, that's not being chosen by, by God and by Jesus as a man and saying, I'm setting you up as an apostle. So the, the apostles today are not, they're not canonized or set up by the church. It's just a gift that operates within them. And, and I'm not real big on titles and... Uh, you recognize giftings in people 
but I don't really think we ought to be putting titles on people too much. I think that's, uh, that's not really our place to do that. So in the, in the book of Acts, you see the original 12, they were sent with a message. As they began to preach and teach, uh, Paul and Barnabas went on missionary trips and they, they began to influence other cultures. They set up churches as they evangelized and won people to the Lord. They set up churches, established churches, and they, they set up leaders. And then they had oversight of them. And that's the true sign of an apostle in, in the original sense. It was someone that not only established churches, but they had oversight of numerous works. They didn't just have a, a, a church that they were a pastor of. They had oversight of numerous churches. And Paul, all these letters he wrote, like to Colossae and Philippi and Ephesus and Corinth, uh, all those different places that he wrote letters to, those were churches that he had helped set up or establish and that he was overseeing and making sure that the leaders were still following the correct doctrine and they were pursuing the Lord and they were teaching correctly. So... The original 12 and, and the ones in the, in the original group of apostles were the ones who gave us our scriptures today. They wrote things as they were inspired, and that was part of, that's part of how the original scriptures were determined if they were authentic or not. They had to be considered apostolic in their origin. And so the people that, that canonized the scripture, they put them all together and gave us the Bible as we know it today, they determined that the ones that they were going to include and exclude, the writings that they had, were the ones that were written by apostles, the ones that met the certain criteria that they set up for it so that they would, they would know that it was authentic. It was God's Word. So the, the original apostles in Acts 1, when they were going to replace Judas, it kind of gives you the criteria for being an apostle. Acts 1.21, Peter stands up and begins to address everyone in the upper room, and he says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us, accompanied in us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So that was the original criteria. It was someone who had been with the Lord physically in this life, walked with him, and had seen him and had been a witness of his resurrection. So kind of narrowed it down a little bit. You know, you couldn't just be anybody in that original sense because not everybody had physically been with the Lord and not everybody had been a witness of his resurrection. Although... There was a pretty, good, uh, a pretty good group of people who witnessed the resurrection. Um, I think he appeared to uh, more than 400 people at one time, as well as uh, you know, the people in the upper room, which were 120, and then he also appeared to other, other folks on various occasions. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Paul says, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you, with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So 
Paul was saying you can tell if someone's an apostle because they've got signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I mean, they're not just claiming to be somebody. They have the proof because their life has power. And so today, if someone is claiming to be an apostle, they better be someone that has some power in their lives and God is using them. I mean, anybody can claim to be a, an apostle or a bishop or an elder or, you know, whatever. Uh, if you want to put a title up beside your name, you can do that. But if you're going to truly be an apostle, you better have some power following your life and ministry because that was the way it was originally. All the early apostles, I mean, they went and they started churches, people were saved, people were healed, raised from the dead. They did all the stuff that Jesus did. Today's apostles, it's the gift of apostleship, and it's, it's a lot the same. Their calling is to plant new ministries and churches, to go to places where the gospel is not preached, to reach across, to reach across cultures and establish churches in challenging environments to raise up and develop leaders, to call out and lead pastors and shepherds, and much more. Often, today's apostles have many different gifts that allow them to fulfill their ministry. These are leaders of leaders, ministers of ministers. They are influencers. They are typically entrepreneurial and able to take risks and perform difficult tasks. Missionaries and church planters, certain Christian scholars and institutional leaders, and those leading multiple ministries or churches often have the gift of apostleship. So if you were to look around in today's, today's world at the Christian uh, community and, and people are calling themselves apostles, if, or someone is referring to someone as an apostle, they should be people that are influencing and overseeing and doing you know, some big things. They really shouldn't just be someone in some local hole-in-the-wall church. They can call themselves an apostle, but that's not, really, that's not really the biblical meaning of it. And I think that word is, uh, has been abused and misused, and people like to put titles by their name because then they feel like they can control people and manipulate people and do things that are maybe beyond the scope of what they really ought to be doing. Paul made a, a special point to say that he was an apostle by the will of God. Now, the original 12 were called by Jesus when he was a man walking on the earth, but Paul was called by God. But also remember that Paul had an experience with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. He actually, he actually spoke with the Lord. And I don't have a doubt, really, that Paul saw Jesus in the flesh. You know, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that. But with all the Pharisees and different ones that were constantly hassling Jesus, I can't imagine that Paul wasn't somewhere among that group, and maybe he wasn't one of the ones asking the questions, but I bet you he was fully aware of Jesus and his life and ministry. Well, Paul was, uh, he met all the criteria of the original 12 uh, on, on some level because he had been around while Jesus was walking in and out among everyone, and he was a witness of his resurrection as well. And then Paul mentions Timothy. And I think that's interesting because in all of Paul's writings, well, there were several things. Sometimes they were written by someone else that was actually, what do they call him, amenuensis or some kind of a big fancy name like that, someone that writes for you. Uh, Paul was dictating and someone else was writing, but 
He also, he's quick to point out his helpers and those that are fellow ministers with him, and I think that's a good thing. It's a sign of a, that is another sign of an apostle, I think, someone who is overseeing and giving credit to other people for the ministry and work that they do. It's real easy to, to just take all the credit for yourself, you know, but it's a little more challenging to always remember to give thanks to those that are serving with you and for you. And I tell you that from time to time, but you know, every week when we come together, there are all sorts of things going on in the background, and people do those things. That's because they've, they've said, I'm, I'm willing, and I know how to do this, and I'm going to do it, and they do it. They don't ask to be thanked. They don't, they don't want to be noticed. They just do it. And I get to come up here and just do what I do, and I don't have to worry about if we're going to have heating and air conditioning or the plumbing's going to work or if we're going to have a sound system or you know any of those things. I don't have to worry about counting offerings and writing checks. You know, We have people that do all those things. And I, I, every now and then I want to make sure that you know that I am grateful for that. I thank you, all of you that serve and support. Uh, you know, we got Christmas decorations. Uh, I didn't do all that. I carried some boxes, but that's about the extent of it. So I'm grateful, and I want to make sure that, that you know that there are people that do things. And I think that's what Paul was doing. He was mentioning Timothy because he knew that Timothy was going to be a minister of the gospel. And he was saying, he's an up-and-comer. He's one of the guys who's ministering with me. I want you to recognize him, recognize his name, so that when he is doing things, you'll know that he was with me and he has the same kind of authority and doctrine that I have. And then he goes on and he, and he says, who he's addressing this letter to? To the church of God, which is at Corinth. Oh, excuse me, I'm reading the wrong passage there. He addresses his, his letter to the, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, that word saints has been used a lot over the years, and uh, certain Christian organizations have uh, taken that word a little beyond, I think, what the biblical scope was. We don't believe in canonizing saints like maybe the Catholic Church might or something where you've got you know, people who are wonderful, blessed, anointed people and they, you know, they, they were saints probably, but uh, the word saint, as far as the Bible, is just a believer. It is someone who's been sanctified and set apart. Doesn't mean you're holy, doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you have chosen to name yourself with the people of God. And you have chosen to follow the Lord, and therefore you are called a saint. Now, I'm not saying anything negative about you know anyone who has saint before their name. I'm just saying that we don't we don't do that. All of you guys are saints if you're a believer. Every person who has ever lived who believed in the Lord and walked with the Lord is a saint. There were saints in the Old Testament. There's saints in the New Testament. You guys right here and now, y'all are saints. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're special, though. When you're a saint, that means you're special because God has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's pretty cool. That's special. 
So you are a saint, even if you don't feel like a saint. And sometimes, you know, when we look at our spouses or those in our lives and we see how much mercy and grace we get, we think, wow, they really are a saint, you know. And I need, I need those kind of people in my life because even though I'm a saint, I don't always act like a saint, if you know what I mean. So I need extra grace and mercy. So Paul addresses them and he says, for the saints and the faithful brethren. Now, that's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting distinction there. I don't think that's just one thing all rolled together. I think he is, he is saying, I'm addressing this letter to the saints and also to the faithful brethren. And I think he's making that distinction not because they're unfaithful brethren, but I think, again, it's like mentioning Timothy by name. I think he's saying, there are some of you guys that are all in, and you are, you are actively pursuing God. You are faithful in your ministry. You're faithful in teaching and preaching and evangelization of your uh, community. I mean, you're doing the stuff you're supposed to be doing. All of you are saints, but some of you, I'm, I'm recognizing that you're getting after it. I mean, you're doing above and beyond. You are a faithful brethren. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing as a believer. And I think that's significant because today in the church we've got a lot of saints and I'm not convinced how many faithful brethren we've got. We've got, uh, in this body, we've, I mean, we've got a lot of people that volunteer. It's way, way higher percentage than, than any kind of normal average. But, but still, in your own personal life, what you do 24 hours a day, you know, some of that's sleeping, I understand, but every day the things that we do, are you really, are you really and truly a faithful brethren or are you just a saint? You're just going along, you got your name written down in the book and your ticket's punched and you're on your way. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying, are you really pursuing God all the time? Are you really doing everything that you can to build the kingdom of the Lord and to serve him and to spend time with him and to fellowship with him. I don't think any of us are doing all that we can. Some of us may be doing a little more than others, but I just want to encourage you that um, our faithfulness has no bearing on our eternal destination, really. I mean, you are either born again and you're walking with the Lord or you're not. Now, the Lord wants you to, he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be uh, dedicated, committed. He wants you to do all the things that you're supposed to do. But it's not, it's not going to cause you to lose out with the Lord if you, you know, if you're not 100% every day, all day long, every day of the week, every week and every month and all your whole life. We have seasons and spells and times where things are you know where you're like white hot and all on fire and all in you got other times where you're just maybe you're just plumb wore out and you just need to you feel like you need a break and and you're going to take a break that doesn't mean you've walked away from the lord it just means you you're not as uh you're not as committed at that moment as you have been or need to be maybe but the thing about it that I like is that God doesn't ever change. And we, we say that all the time. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And when we, are, when we are weak, when we are tired, 
when we are discouraged, when we are anxious or doubtful, whatever our circumstances may be, he doesn't change. And his faithfulness will sustain us. And that gives us great hope and, and encouragement to know that he's not going to leave us or forsake us. When our struggles seem to be at their peak, he doesn't say, oh man, you know, you're too much, uh, you're too much trouble, or wow, you know, you're not really doing right, so I'm just going to teach you a lesson, kick you while you're down. No, that's not the way God operates. That's when God is most faithful. When we are at our weakest point, that's when we can trust his faithfulness the most because he is always there and he never gives up on us. He's always watching out for us and trying to perform his good word in our life. <clears throat> this uh, greeting and salutation that Paul gives to the, the church of Colossae is very similar to what he does with all of his letters. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of the Lord Jesus our Lord, both theirs and ours. So I think um, the word faithful, when he's referring to faithful brethren, that really is believing. It's not just about, about doing anything, but it's about believing. It's what do you believe? Do you really believe? And you know, if you really believe, you will act on your belief. Faith is an action. It's not just some thought or thing that you acknowledge with your intellect. If you believe in something, you're going to do it. You're going to be actively involved in pursuing it. If you believe in uh, the necessity of water for your body, you're going to drink some water. If you believe in the necessity of light for you to walk around and not bump your head, you're going to turn the light on. If you believe in, in doing things, that's what you do. If you believe it's healthy to eat and to protect your body from uh, harmful things, then that's what you're going to do. If I believe it's going to burn me to put my hand on a the stove, then I'm not going to put my hand on the stove. Although, I will admit freely, Sometimes when they bring that plate out to the restaurant and say, the plate's hot, you know, I want to always grab the plate and see how hot it really is just to see, but maybe that's just me, but no, nah, it's hot. Well, I told you it was hot. Well, I didn't believe you, so I wanted to know for sure. Then Paul goes on and uh, he says in Ephesians 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a very similar uh, greeting that he gives to all of his letters. When he writes them, he says, to the saints that are in the city and to the believers there. And I think that's another thing that we have messed up in our, in our modern culture. The church of Jesus Christ is the entire body of Christ, the universal church. And that includes everyone from the very beginning to the end. Those are all members of the body of Christ. And I believe what we've done wrong is we've had churches, buildings, and local congregations, and we've begun to think of them as the church and those as the body of Christ and we're just one part of it. We're all connected. And so when Paul 
wrote a letter to, to the Colossians, he didn't say, you know, to just the saints and the faithful brethren at Epaphras' house. He was addressing it to all the believers in the city of Colossae. So if Paul were to write a letter to, to us, he would probably say, y'all, yeah. Well, he might say that, but he would say to the, the saints and the faithful brethren in Weatherford. He wouldn't say to the, the fellowship at Weatherford and to New River and to Northside Baptist. He would say to all the believers, to the saints in Weatherford. And I think that's the way we ought to look at it because there's a church in Weatherford. There's a lot of buildings and a lot of different groups of people that meet in different buildings, but, but we are all part of the church in Weatherford. As the, the community of believers in Weatherford, we're all connected, and we ought to be connected. That's what I like about some of these things that we've done this year uh, where we're doing the mobile food bank and we're doing... Uh, some other things with the Center of Hope and with Grace House. We're getting connected to our community and the body of Christ in the Parker County area is becoming more connected with each other. And I think that's good. What we've tended to all do is have a local church building and then we want to have our people and focus on them and get them all in here and don't let them go anywhere else and keep them and make sure that we keep our people and, you know, I want y'all to keep coming here too, but I don't control you. And I don't want to steal people from another church. You know, if we've got a better worship team and they choose to come here, or if they like the way I preach, or they like our Awanas program, fine. But I don't want to attract people from other churches. I want to go out and win people out of the community and bring them into a church where they can be nurtured and fed and, and grown to maturity. So the, the body of Christ ought to be connected. We ought not be feel like we're competing with each other. We ought to feel like we're, we're helping and benefiting each other. We're all part of the same body. And then Paul goes on and he says, uh, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that a lot in his, uh, his greetings to people just as well. He's always talking about God's grace and talking about peace. Now, grace, you've all heard the different definitions. It's God's favor and blessing. It's freely given to us as his people. It's unmerited favor. Uh, there's an acronym that people have used for years. You probably heard it, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. That spells grace. Um, Bill Gothard used to say that uh, Grace is the power and the desire to do God's will. And I think that's a, a good definition because it's the ability or the power and the desire to do what God has called us to do. Uh, another definition I heard from a Bible teacher is that it's the ability to work redemptively. And I like that definition too because God is, is working redemptively in us through His grace, but as His grace works in us, then we are acting and working redemptively to all those around us. We are, are actively trying to help other people and help them uh, find the Lord and be changed and be uh, refreshed spiritually. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, And of his fullness 
we have received, we have all received, and grace for grace. That expression, grace for grace, is, it's kind of an odd expression uh, for us, but in some languages, they don't have a, a great way of saying this is best, best, better, and best, or good, better, and best, or whatever. They, they say it this way, grace, grace, or peace, peace, and that means it's really good. They're saying it twice, back to back, and it's, uh, it means that it's, it's good. Grace for grace. You think about that. Grace for grace. So you've got grace that helps you through your everyday situations and struggles, and your challenges every day in life. You have grace for that. And then you don't wear it out or use it up, but God gives you more grace for the grace that you've already received, and it just keeps flowing, grace for grace, building grace upon grace. That's another way that this could be interpreted, grace upon grace, that it just keeps pouring out on you. You've got grace upon grace upon grace. Every day there is newness of his grace being poured out on us so that, that we, never, we never exhausted and we never run out of it and we can never use it all up and it will never fail us. In 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So Peter's saying, Grow in the grace. And you're thinking, Well, that's a gift. You know, it's God's gift. How can I grow in it? Well, Peter also says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So one way you can grow in your grace is by humbling yourself. The more humility you have in your life every day, the more God will pour grace out on you, because that's what he says. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Well, it's like two opposites. If you're, if you're humble, you get grace. If you're proud, you get the stiff arm by God. You know, the old uh, Heisman Trophy, you know, for they stiff arm? Well, that's what God does when we're proud. He, re he rejects pride. One of the few things that God actually resists and pushes you away for, he doesn't like us to be proud. He wants us to be humble. And, and realistically, I mean, how could you be proud in God's presence? We should never be proud in God's presence. Here he is, the master of the universe, He's done everything for us. He's given us life. He's given us freedom. He's restored and renewed us. And we're going to be proud about something that we are or something that we've done? No. We ought to be groveling. And I'm not, he doesn't want us to grovel. He wants us to have a humble response to him. He wants us to be humble. That's the way God wants us to be. And when we're humble before God, then it makes us easier to be humble with people. And you know, most of the conflicts you have in your personal life and relationships, it's because you've got a little pride working. Someone says something to you and you, you react to it because you've got a little bit of pride rearing up and you think, well, I can't believe they said that to me. I can't believe they just said that or did that or they meant this or they, they just talked down to me. Well, I'll be, huh. And yet, if you'll be humble... And you'll, and you'll have a 
a humility that is really only able to be there because of being changed by the power of God working in you. God's grace will cause you to be humble. And then if you humble yourself, you get more grace. But if you continue that cycle and build your humility, then you won't be as easily offended. People can say things to you and you'll just smile and say, okay, that's fine. Boy, you know, you're looking stupid today. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm not feeling so stupid, but that's all right. Man, you're looking great today. Well, thank you. Whatever people say to you, you don't have to react in a negative or an ugly way. I mean, you can, take, you can take words and respond to them in a way that uh, can be graceful. But you're only going to be able to do that if you're walking in humility. If you've got pride, you will respond in a negative way when people say things that are hurtful or people say things or do things to you that, that are contrary to what you would like to hear. Because we all think that we are worthy on some level. You know, we're worthy of respect. We're worthy of people loving us and caring for us. We're worthy of people thinking highly of us. We want that. That's what we desire. And when that's not what we get, then we have a tendency to want to react to it. And it's really all coming from a source of pride or humility as to which way we react. And then he says, uh, peace also. Now peace, that was a common greeting in the early church. You know, now it's like, peace, bro. You know, that's, that, that's not really a Christian greeting necessarily. But, but, those, uh, but the early believers, they would say, peace to you. I mean, that would be a common greeting. They would see someone and say, peace to you. And they were actually speaking peace over you. They were blessing you with peace. That was not just a word that they used. They were actually giving you a blessing. And so when Paul writes this greeting and says, grace and peace to you, that's a blessing. He is blessing them with grace and peace. And that's a good thing for us to do. We ought to bless people with grace and peace. So peace was, uh, it was a common expression uh, with the Greeks and the Gentiles, the early Christians, they, they really meant it, but their understanding of peace was a little bit different than uh, the understanding that the Hebrew people had. The Hebrew understanding of peace was more of a, an overall, it wasn't just you know, like peace, it's, it's good. Uh, there, is a, there is a peace that is the absence of war and the absence of conflict. But there's also, if you think about the opposite of war, that means things are good. Things are not chaotic. Things are not being destroyed and broken. Things are being, uh, they're being blessed. They're, they're walking in favor and goodness, and things are going like they're supposed to. And so the Hebrew idea of peace was one of an overall prosperity in all of the parts of your life, in everything. So when a Hebrew person thinks of peace, they're thinking of, it's all good. All of my life is good, not just my relationship with the Lord, not just my relationship with my spouse, not just my job. I mean, they're thinking about everything. Well, so when you bless someone with peace, you're blessing them with goodness that would abound in every part of their life. God's favor and blessing and prosperity in every part of their life. And that's pretty significant. In Isaiah 26.3, says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And that perfect peace, it literally is shalom, shalom. It's peace, peace. And we, 
we read it as perfect peace because that's kind of the, the meaning there. It's like, this is not just peace. It's really good peace. It's like all the peace you could ever ask for. It's peace upon peace, like grace upon grace. It's peace, peace, perfect peace. It's shalom, shalom. And so when our mind and our thoughts are on the Lord, that's when he can keep us in that perfect or peace, peace. It's when our thoughts are on him. And that's how we have that peace that operates and prospers every part of our life when our heart and our minds are focused on the Lord, then he can pour out his peace on us in every part of our life because every part of our life reflects our relationship with the Lord. And it's a cycle that just keeps repeating itself. As we are focused on him, he can pour out more peace on us. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So when you do a simple thing, when you focus on the Lord and you turn over your cares and your requests, you make them known to the Lord, you don't have to be anxious or fearful but you can walk in that peace, peace, that shalom, shalom, because it passes all of our understanding and it'll guard our hearts and minds so that you're not having to, to be fretful or worried about today. You're not having to be fretful or worried about tonight or tomorrow or next week or next year or when you retire or when you die or you know any of those things because you are walking in shalom, shalom, and it's guarding your heart and mind so that you are kept in perfect peace, and you're not having to wonder about the circumstances of your life. Every part of your life is walking in the favor and prosperity of the Lord. In Galatians 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. He's basically talking about being a Hebrew or a Gentile. Nothing matters like that, just whether or not you're born again. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul is making the point that our peace, our mercy, our grace, all of that comes through the, the work that Jesus did on the cross. Christ crucified. If we remember that and we keep our eyes on him and what he provided for us, then we will walk in that shalom, shalom. We'll walk in that grace upon grace. We'll walk in the favor and blessing of the Lord in all the parts of our lives. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect in your life, but it means you can have peace and not, and not fear and chaos. It doesn't mean that your, li your life is not going to have challenges but it does mean that you can have victory even through those challenges because we're not, we're not a new creation so that we can be miserable. We're a new creation so that we can be walking in grace and peace and the joy of the Lord and that we would have hope, not hope like the world has that's based in the circumstances of life, not peace like the world has that it's only when there are no problems, but we have hope and peace that's irrelevant to our situation and circumstances of life. It's based in our relationship with the Lord, which is based 
and his provision on the cross. When we walk in that knowledge, everything is different in our lives. Worship team, y'all can come back. And then in 1 Peter 3, he says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I want to encourage you today that if you will seek peace, if you will seek the Lord, seek him and his grace and his peace, grow in grace, seek peace, pursue it, be mindful of it. Don't just go along your way like always, but develop a mindset that says, I want to pursue God's peace. I want to grow in God's grace. I don't want to be the same way that I was last week, last month. I want to grow in God's grace. I want to be changed. I want to be different. I mean, we're not a bunch of young folks in here. Some of us are young, but most of us are not. We've been at this a while. And I don't want to go out of this life thinking, man, I wish I'd done more. Now is the time to grow in grace. Now is the time to pursue peace. Now is the time to make a difference in not only your life, but in your, in your household, in all of your connections with people, all the relationships that you have. That is the time to do it, is now. And you can do that by making a conscious effort to grow in grace and peace. Let's stand and worship.
Lord, we do praise you. We, we acknowledge that it is all you, Lord, that we in our own strength are powerless and weak, and yet, like Paul said, in my weakness, that's when you are made strong, Lord. It is in our infirmities and in our weakness, when we recognize our frailty, that's when we recognize and walk in the strength and the power of your Spirit. And Lord, your grace truly is sufficient, and it will carry us through all of life's challenges. And we won't just survive, but we'll thrive because you are walking with us and you're in us and your anointing is upon us. And Lord, that's our desire this morning is that we would walk in your grace, and that we would walk in your peace, and that we would be filled with the anointing and the power of the Spirit, that everything that we do and attempt to do would be done by you and not by our flesh, Lord. We trust you and we acknowledge you. We need you, Lord, in every part of our life, all day, every day. Help us, Lord God, to focus on you, to get our eyes on you so that we are constantly fellowshipping and walking with you. In Jesus' name.
that is our prayer this morning, that you would make all things new. Lord, as we go through this book of Colossians, I pray that you speak to us each week. Show us things, Lord, even, even little things that we're not thinking about, Lord, cause the Word of God to become alive to us, that it would speak to our hearts and change us. For your Word is alive and powerful, Lord, and only your Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can truly change our hearts, Lord. So help us to renew our minds with your Word, Lord, as we draw close to you, as we hear your voice proclaiming your truth to us, Lord. I thank you for that. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his perfect peace.